And I am coming at you live from the Vivid Seats studio, which coincidentally doubles as my kitchen. What are the odds? Um, Yeah, so uh, we have a great episode today with Adam Taylor of the Celtics Center. It's a a Celtics podcast um, on the Overtime uh, Podcast Network, which we are now a member of. Um, which is why you're going to be hearing some ads on the show periodically, like the one that I kind of just read. Um, we're going to be talking about um, all things Celtics and Knicks and kind of the crossover between some of the storylines uh, between the two teams and uh, are definitely going to be getting into Marcus Morris. And I think Knicks fans are going to enjoy what uh, Mr. Taylor has to say about uh, Marcus Morris. Um, all that in just a couple of minutes. Um, first, just some very quick announcements, so to speak. Uh, one, um, if you are listening to this via SoundCloud, you will not be able to listen to the pod, unfortunately, for much longer on SoundCloud. Um, it's probably going to be just this episode and maybe one more episode. Um, and then um, we're not going to be available on that platform anymore because um, we have switched over to a podcast network that is great and awesome, and we are um, very happy to be a part of it. But unfortunately, it doesn't run on SoundCloud. Um, Only iTunes, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Um, So all the other places that you can get pods, just not SoundCloud. So if if you've been listening to us on SoundCloud, SoundCloud, thank you, um, but uh, kindly switch over to one of those other other ways to listen to stuff. Um, the second thing that I wanted to say very briefly is, um, and I've, I've kind of mentioned it already, there will be ads on the show now because, you know, we're the big time now. Um, and no, that's actually not it at all. Um, no, we all, there's not really much to say about it. We're, you know, trying to grow and, um, be, you know, a thing that is, is bigger and better. And part of the way to, to help us get there, um, will be, um, running some ads, which we're going to do. Um, they're not going to be a lot of ads, um, and they're going to be short, but they will be there. So I just felt like I should say something about that fact. And speaking of the devil, Use promo code OVERTIME, that's O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases, first-time customers only. See? That wasn't that bad. That was an ad. And it was a useful ad, because you could use this code OVERTIME and get, um, you know, cheap cheaper tickets. So, definitely use that. And, um, Yeah. Uh, let's get to the episode with me and Adam Taylor. All right. So yeah, um, it is, what, what is it? Is FIBA starting today Is or tomorrow? Yeah. It's the first games today. First games today are, um, are you, 
Well, you should be excited because all of your players are in the in the damn game. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I mean, we've got four of them. I'm more than happy to watch that game. I'm definitely. Go- I'm meant to be going to a family affair, but my phone's just going to be streaming the game all the way through. I I can tell you that if uh, who was it originally going to be? It was originally Randall um, was on for us, and Mitchell Robinson was a uh, the younger you know, camp invite, whatever they call that, the select team. If either of them were in the game, I would definitely be ignoring whoever I'm supposed to be spending time with today um, and, and watching that instead. So I'm I'm envious of you. Um, also because you root for a Celtics team that is good. Um, how does it feel to be... I, I, that's, I think that's where we should start. How does it feel to be a Celtics person who, like, gets to talk about a team that has been wildly successful for a long time? Last offseason, if you'd asked me this question, I would have been so pumped, dude. The the entire build up to last year was so like climb like anticlimactic once the season started. This year, on the other hand, I'm really happy just to have a bunch of guys that want to play together that are coachable. It's fun being able to talk more about wins than losses, but I've been following this team all the way through the rebuild and beyond before two thousand and eight. So it, it's good to be able to talk about it, but at the same time, I like talking about the younger guys and looking forwards to their potential and then maximizing what their skill sets are. So it, it all depends on what way we look at it. If we look at it as just purely wind, it's fun because we have more of those episodes than we don't, apart from last year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it all depends. I mean, I'm one more for how did they execute their plays? How did Jason Tatum perform coming off screens was he getting contact looking at the things they need to improve more than what they're already doing well that's that's funny because um last season i think myself and most nick's content creators whether it's podcaster or writers or, or whatever we like we yearned to be able to do that and yet we we inevitably fell back upon you know, looking forward to the summer ahead and, like, thinking about the potential of these guys because in terms of, like, analyzing what was going on on the court, um, it just, you know, it, it was it was just digging your own grave if you were going to try to do that. So I am I am slightly envious of you that you, you have gotten to do that more. Um, uh, so, well, let's, let's start with the summer because we kind of led up to it already. We said we were going to talk about that. Um... How did how did you feel about how the Celtics did this summer? I mean, you you said it yourself. I mean, last season kind of went awry. Were, were you were are you happy with how things turned out? Yeah, I was very excited to see the back of Kyrie Irving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I was super super excited to see him go. During the season, I was all for them trying to find a way to appease him to try and keep him, and I understood the narrative of. By having Kyrie, you're much more likely to entice a Kevin Durant-level player to come and play for the team. By the end of the season, I was like, no, forget that. He can go, and we'll figure it out. Then, losing Al Horford was a kick in the nuts, dude. I'm not going to lie. And to lose him to Philadelphia, who's like the biggest rival, and he was that Embiid stopper. He was the guy that we needed on the court when Embiid was on the court just to stay competitive down low. So by losing him as well, it really hurt. But then we pivoted again and got Kanta, who to me, I feel like his defense is slept on a little bit. He performed really well for 
Portland during the playoffs. Did you watch any of those games? I I did um, begrudgingly. So, um, as 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 my listeners already well know, I am I am not the biggest Enos Cantor fan. I, I was kind of um, when you know when he first came here to New York. I was like, um, okay, we could, um, you know, you could wave him immediately for all I care. Um, I knew, you know, I had kind of followed his career through uh, Utah and and OKC, and I knew what he was and I knew what he wasn't, and I I just, um, you know what, I'll say this, I think Cantor ebbs and flows a lot with the environment that he's in. Um, and I think part of that is why um, he did well in Portland, you know, because they they created, um, I think, I want to say more of a defensive support structure. Not that like Lillard and, and McCollum are, are, you know, all that uh, spectacular in, in, in terms of defending the perimeter, but it was um, a stable system um, on defense, which is more than you could say about what he experienced here in New York. I was just really mad because he came in and talked, obviously, this huge game. You know, I love New York. I want to live in New York forever. I want to bathe myself in New York's rain and, um, you know, and then shower my love upon New York citizens and denizens for all of eternity. I mean, the the stuff that came out of his mouth. And I knew to take it with, with a giant grain of salt. But, like, if you're going to say that stuff... Back it up by being, like, setting the example. You know what I mean? And I think what the playoff um, run in Portland showed us is that he was he's never going to be a great defender, but he was always capable of, like, a little bit more. And I, I hope for your sake that you guys get that little bit more in Boston because in New York, we, we got the opposite. You know, we got the version of Cantor who the moment he stepped on the floor, you know, he wanted to put up his numbers, and and that was to the detriment of um, his teammates. It was to the detriment of the team. Uh, do, are you are you like already um, thinking ahead to like should we have Cantor on the floor at the end of games, or you're like I want to go small in those situations? Where how, how are you feeling about that? Have you thought about it too much already? Oh, for sure, we've definitely thought about it, and it all depends on matchups for one, obviously, but. I do feel like having Cantor on the floor when the game's on the line is going to be a defensive liability. Brad Stevens is excellent at hiding weak defensive players. I mean, he managed to do it with Isaiah Thomas. He's done it with Kyrie Irving last year, to a lesser extent, obviously. But when your big man is poor on D, and he can't stretch the floor the way the the offense requires him to for the system that you implement, the, I feel like you probably won't see the end of tight games. I would be surprised if he did, um, especially with you know the fact that you guys, you know, you have other options. Um, I mean, I've been <laughs> Well, you got. Well, I saw that you wrote recently about uh, semi. I'm, I always screw up his last name. Ojale. Is that? Is yes. That, did yes, I get I did, it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ojale. See, I like him. Like, as if you know, he's a he's a decent enough. I mean, he's not tall, obviously, but he's decent enough. Or you could just go, you could go all small. I, I just know by a certain point when he was here, there was a certain segment of Nick fans that just um, when he was kind of banished to the bench, 
they were very very happy and i don't think it was a coincidence that um their the the month immediately following both the Porzingis trade when they got Hardaway out of here and and when Cantor was was essentially banished around the same time they were actually like a top 10 defense for the following month it's which if you tracked the rest of their roster is like you you would think that I'm making that up but I I'm not um I I think you're going to get 25 good minutes a game out of him. And I can't believe I'm saying that because I literally, there is, he's my least favorite basketball player on the face of the earth. But I think you'll get 25 good minutes um, a night out of him, which we're hoping to get from a guy that was on your team last year, Marcus Morris. So I, I here's my perception of Marcus. He's solid all around. Like solid defender, solid offensive player, can obviously create his own shot a little bit. Can you Can you give like, us a little primer on on Marcus Morris having watched him for the last two years. Oh God, you're in for a treat. Am I really? Yeah, I so really. There was times during last season where his shot selection was a bit questionable. It felt at certain points like he was getting the ball and it was, "Am I behind a three point line?" Yep, right. I'm jacking up a shot. Okay, that kind of died out as the games got thick and fast, and the chemistry issues were becoming apparent. Morris was the guy that weren't letting no one get away with their shit. If you missed the rotation, he was on you. If you messed up on D by letting your man get past you with a basic crossover, he was on you. He made sure that he was speaking all the time. He was a leader, dude. That was the In all the chaos that was the Celtics season last year, Marcus Morris was actually one of the most consistent players on that roster. He improved his shot while he was with us. He improved his ability to grab boards and throw them outlet passes. I'm not saying he can do a Kevin Love cross-court outlet. That's not what you're going to get. But he's going to... He'll put in work, dude. You're going to get an enforcer that's not scared to stand up for his team. And he'll call your young guys out. He'll make sure they're in position. And if they're not, he'll want to know why they don't know their rotation. You know, it's... it's. I'm so... I, I am so happy you said um, every word of that. And it's interesting you talk about the young guys because... It, the the situation I think Marcus is going to step into this year with the Knicks, in a way, I almost feel like it's like a bizarro world version of last year um, with the Celtics because the Celtics obviously entered last season with the expectation to compete for a championship, and these young guys were, were supposed to play a big role, and then I guess and we could get into it a little bit the the role that they maybe thought they were going to play I, I you know I guess wasn't exactly what it, it ended up being something different this season with the Knicks. Again, the young guys are are being counted on, but obviously they're not. The Knicks aren't competing for anything this year, um, other than you know to to foster the improvement of of those young players. So I wonder, like, I, what I mean, it, it, just put yourself in Marcus Morris's shoes. What do you what do you think he took out of last year's experience? With with the with those young players on the Celtics that he might be able to bring to the Knicks this year, it's a hard question to be honest. I mean, the talent isn't actually that dissimilar. I'm a big fan of Kevin Knox. I feel like yeah, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I didn't. I don't think we saw what he's actually capable. Of. I, I agree. And, I, I'm I'm with you. And sometimes that's going to happen because you know he's. You've got to get used to the, the team that you're playing for. You've got to get used to the different level in competition. So, but, sorry, people are just shouting around the house. That's nice of them. Uh, <laughs> I can't hear it. 
that's good. I can, and it's putting me off the floor. Wait, no, yeah, so... we, hold on. We we could sidetrack for a bit. You said the, around the house. Do you do you live in a busy house? Because I I just have my wife and my three year old daughter. Who do you have over there with you? My, my eight year old daughter, and it sounds like people have just come to visit. So that's always fun. Oh, isn't um, that great? Right in the middle of a podcast. That's fantastic. Yeah, when they knew I was doing it as well. I mean, that's super nice. No, but look, <laughs> I'm a big fan of Kevin Knox. He's going to claim in found a level of competition and it's not like he had much around him uh that's no disrespect to the Knicks roster how it was constructed last year oh wait, listen we 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 i routinely disrespect the Knicks roster last year on the show so you could feel free to do it as much as you want <laughs> no i'm quite respectful unless you're a philadelphia fan i'm very respectful of what you've got around you but <laughs> i like that no Nuts is going to be much better this year. Mitch Robinson is going to be a defensive juggernaut for the next 10 to 15 years. Uh, big fan of Mitch Robinson. What we say over on my podcast is that Robert Williams and Mitch Robinson are very similar in talent level and play style. It's just that Mitch Robinson has had the opportunity to make mistakes against NBA players instead of G League players. What... I, I let me. I want to ask you about that because so that there was a big critique in you know I, I that's why I really wanted I was excited to do this podcast because the Celtics in a lot of ways are like the bright shining example of of um, I, my perception at least I don't know how you feel they're like the shining example of the right way to do things um, in the NBA and I, I, I we could I want to get into Kyrie a little bit more because I I. I get a sense that a lot of the blame is just going to kind of go on his shoulders for last season. And I, I'm curious if you think that that's true or not, but this idea that, you know, letting, letting players like work out their kinks on the floor, like the Knicks did that a lot last year. It worked for Mitchell Robinson, the jury. I mean, you're a believer in Kevin Knox. I'm a believer in Kevin Knox. I think the jury's still out on Kevin Knox. Um, it seemed to work for, for Trier, Alonzo Trier was, you know, I don't know what his ceiling is, but you guys kind of did the same thing with definitely with Tatum. I mean, Tatum, he played, I feel like he played 2,000 minutes his rookie year, didn't he? He played a bucket load of minutes. I mean, I'd have to pull up the stats. I'm actually on Synergy right now looking for some nice little bits of information regarding Morris. Um, so I'm not going to switch to Tatum. But he played a bucket load. He played load. a lot. And that's part of the problem as well, in my opinion. And because he played so well especially in the absence of Gordon Hayward which means his role on that team was cemented that year he knew he was going to be getting good minutes and moving into a year when you've got Gordon Hayward back you've got a healthy Kyrie Irving now there's 10 guys that all believe they should be starting only five are going to but two or three of the guys that are on the bench led the team to the Eastern Conference Finals the year before and that's where the chemistry issues were. In regards to letting guys work out their kinks, Stevens did that, but to the extreme, dude. Like, there was times where he should have been calling a timeout, and it was three minutes too late by the time he did. And huh. Previously, when you've got Isaiah, when it was the Isaiah Thomas-led Celtics, and they were the king of coming back into games late and then stealing a win, there wasn't that camaraderie. Nobody was willing to go to war. We didn't have a Jay Crowder. With, um, who would just put his head down and try and get in the way of bodies. We had Marcus Smart, but that was literally him and Marcus Morris were the only two guys that were really driving change on the court. So 
yeah, it was good to see guys like make mistakes, but at the same time, you if you're making the same mistake in February that you was in October, then you should be on the bench or somebody should be getting your minutes at that point. Yeah, um, the the interesting thing last year, and the, I guess for for us as opposed to you guys, is with you guys last year, you know the Celtics had options. Uh, like there were there were guys who we knew were NBA players that could have come in. Um, with the Knicks last year, it was like, all right, you know, people complained about you, you send Knox out there when he's not ready, and maybe it's to his detriment. It's like, well, you know, who else? Who else exactly is is biting at the or chomping at the bit for playing time? Which is what's going to be different about this season. But then I, I, to hear you talking, I, I, I or as I'm hearing you talking, you know, this has been the the to me. There's been a lot of criticisms of the Knicks off season um, that have been not valid to me the one that's completely valid is the idea that there are going to be 13 14 guys in camp who are going to expect to play i, I don't know 1500 2000 minutes if not more this season and obviously that's not that's not going to happen so how do the Knicks avoid what happened to the Celtics last year and i guess that leads to the other thing that i i referenced earlier which is like how much of it was Kyrie? How much of it was like maybe some favoritism towards Gordon Hayward that was not fully earned? Like, what do you? I mean, you're, you're a Celtics fan. What do you? What do you attribute it to more than just having? I, I think there was like multiple factors, and each one on their own probably could have been squared away or overlooked, and it wouldn't have caused too much of an issue. But when you've got Terry Rozier, who believes he should be next man up after Kyrie Irving and then you've got Gordon Hayward that's struggling for fitness really shouldn't have started the year as a starter uh, you've got Jalen Brown having struggles while as a starter then you've got players that believe that they're better than what they are everything put together culminated in this disastrous year where chemistry just couldn't mesh people were upset with the way Terry Rozier was handling things internally from the media reports that have come out. Other people are upset that Gordon Haywood was still getting the minutes, but he wasn't producing. I mean, that's the one good thing about Morris coming to your team now, because he's just lived a year of that, and he damn sure isn't <laughs> going to want another one. So he'll be one of those guys to be in players' ears, like, look, take your role, because role players get paid. Role players on a team that improves year in, year out, get paid because you show that you can sacrifice for the team and you can work within the system. I hope to... I mean, you said this about Morris. Um, I I had um, uh, Mo Hamilton come on uh, from The Athletic a few weeks ago. He said similar thing about, specifically, I think he mentioned Julius Randle, Alfred Payton, and maybe one other guy, about guys that are just like good vets and, and should help keep, like, order in the locker room if things aren't are you know like if some guys are tempted to get out of line because they don't they don't get they're not getting what what's coming to them but it but that's the thing about the Celtics last year is it's like I I look at the Celtics from afar and I'm like Danny Ainge good good culture setter Brad Stevens great cult seems to be to me at least a great culture setter and then you got you had Morris you had Smart um two you know two good guys did like, how big a factor was Kyrie? You know, because a lot of Nick fans, they, they may say they don't, but they're going to pay attention to what's going on in Brooklyn this year. Do you, like, 
how how happy were you to get him out of here? Out of I Boston? mean, dude, look at it this way: the guy was in Cleveland and he was having problems with LeBron James when he was winning. He then got <laughs> traded to Boston. He didn't choose to come there. He got traded there, and then shockingly, he's not able to play against Cleveland the next time he goes. Now he's out injured for the playoffs, but somehow Uncle Drew gets released, and then he comes back, plays for a bit, realizes, hold on, this isn't what was advertised on the can at the start of the year. Things aren't happening the way they should be. Now there's media reports coming out. I want to trade. He's not going to be here. Then he releases a, a commercial dude with his dad saying, "I want my number in the rafters." He, there was mixed messages all year, and. This is the second time he's left the franchise with a sour taste in there, man. First year in Brooklyn this year, I think it's going to go rosy. Next year, I don't think it's going to go as well because he seems like a guy that if everything doesn't fall into place straight away for him, he's going to suck. He's going to... And he's a weird dude, man. I mean, some of the reports... Did you hear the report where Brad Stevens came into practice one day and said good morning? And Kyrie's report was... What do you think is the definition of government? Uh, I I don't know if I've heard that one. If I walk into work at 9am and you're asking me to define a government, I'm going to take you to go jump. Just fuck off, dude. <laughs> it's 9am. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is the problem with him. He's uh, one of the most... I mean, I'm writing an article at the moment and uh, I've stated he was the most naturally talented player on the team last year but he wasn't the best player. So I was just saying about Jarrett Allen. Is he going to be getting starter minutes now that DeAndre Jordan's there? What about Karis Levert? Is he going to be getting the ball as much as what he was last year? And these issues, these little questions can snowball to become big issues when you've got a guy like Kyrie that isn't exactly a locker room leader or somebody that gels with the younger core of a team. So I I said on my pod, um, it I think it was it was a few weeks ago. Um, I had heard because I you know I occasionally get little snippets here and there around the uh, around the interwebs. I had heard that the Knicks had their um, let's just say um, hesitation um, hesitations about Kyrie uh, over the course of the year um, and. I even before the Durant injury, um, I think that they were they were skeptical, um, and it's like, you know, it's really interesting how this could turn. Because I I I agree with you. I think he's going to be on his best behavior in Brooklyn this year. I think it's going to be, you know, rosy for a little while. Plus, Kyrie is the very definition of a hipster, and that's what Brooklyn is now. It's full of goddamn hipsters. No offense if you're listening to this and you're. A, a Brooklyn hipster. We still love you. But, I mean, it's, it is what it is. So, I think there's that aspect of it. But, like, if he actually came to the Knicks with Durant, and, like, the Knicks obviously are trying to establish a culture, whatever the hell that is, they're trying to establish it. I mean, you want to talk about a guy that could have gone, you know, made this thing go sideways. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to put lipstick on a pig because I, I think at the end of the day, the Knicks would have been very, 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 very happy to have these two guys in their building, even an injured Durant. But I wonder. I, I, I look forward to looking back several years from now and wondering if, you know, asking the question: Did the Knicks dodge 
the bullet that would have been, you know, that would have been same old Knicks, maybe. And, and, and meanwhile, we went this other way and, you know, we'll, we'll see if it winds up working. If you, let me ask you this. If you were forced to keep one of the two guys on your team for the year ahead, Kyrie or Rozier, which, which one would it have been? That's hard because you always want to keep the most talented guy, right? Yeah. And both of them were a locker room problem. So I'd probably go Kyrie just because if you saw Rosier play this year, you'd know that he was – Charlotte have been screwed, dude. Is um, it? Is, was it that bad? I, he reminds me – he's one of these guys that needs usage. He needs high usage to be effective. Large amount of minutes – he wasn't getting them. Uh, yeah, it was terrible, dude. He was again. He was another guy to just jack up shots after shots, and there were air balls. There were clanking off the front of the rim. He just wasn't this scary Terry from the year before. <laughs> so, and this is the problem. That's Charlotte's problem now. I mean, we got Kemba. We're good, but. I feel like you did dodge a bullet with Kyrie. I'm shocked that you guys didn't make a play for Kemba Walker. So there's been, and I, listen, you you may have heard something I didn't. There's been, like, I don't want to say conflicting reporting, but there are, there are. I've read you know pieces this off season that you know insinuate like the Knicks couldn't get a meeting with Kemba Walker or like Kemba Walker didn't want to look the Knicks way. My my read on the situation, and I and again, it's I try very, very, very hard to be um, objective, but I, at the same time, I admit, you know, I'm a fan, so that you know, sometimes I, I I don't know if I could fully do that. My my read on the situation was that the Knicks were sending out messages basically from you know March or April onward that they were essentially only going to make a play for. Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard, and if they got one of those two guys, then whoever those guys wanted to bring with them. And if the, if it wasn't going to be those guys, then they weren't going to make a play for anyone. So I don't – I agree with you. I don't think they made a play for him. But, like, truth be told, I don't I – don't, like, if you're if you're Kemba Walker and you could you could have taken the Celtics position or, or come to the Knicks, like, what would you do? I'd, I mean, if I'm him, I'd go to the Celtics. Honestly. Do you feel like – and this, I'm very curious about this. Do you feel like James Dolan is detrimental to what you're trying to achieve as a team? Oh God, how do I even begin to answer that question? I, I mean, I've, I've, see, James Dolan, if you're out there and you're listening to this, you, I could, I could honestly say, you own real estate in my head. You own rent-free real estate in my head because I have spent more time thinking about that son of a bitch um, over the last. You know, I mean, he's always in your mind as a Nick fan, but especially since everything happened in July, like the big, the big conversation for me, like internally, externally in July was like, it, are we ever going to be able to, cause like, you, you know, I'm sure you hear things. I hear things like how much of it is true. Like that, that guys, they just look at a situation of, of a team that's owned by Dolan and they're like, you know what? All things being equal. I don't want to deal with that. I, I mean, and I mean, Mello going on to first take and saying that when he went to New York, there were promises made about fitting a team around him that would be contenders, and that never came to fruition. It just feels like most high-level NBA players, I'm not going to say all, because knowing my luck, you'll end up landing somebody in next year, um, but most of these high-tier players, Kevin Durant, 
Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie, the, that type of echelon of players seem to be avoiding New York. And that, it, it's shocking. I mean, you guys have got one of the biggest fan bases. You have a very historic franchise. There's not many teams that had the level of cap space that you did this year either. And to not be able to get meetings, it speaks volumes to the the reputation that the ownership have actually got. I mean, yeah, no, there's no look. The the reputation of the ownership is what it is. The meeting stuff, I I th- actually think in the NBA now, where unless they change the tampering rules um, and and actually try to enforce them, although I think they're going to go the other direction with that and just kind of do away with a lot of that stuff. I think um, the meeting stuff, I don't I don't really care about because he's you know Kevin Durant said it himself. He's like, I can't be sold. Um, or I can't be whatever, whatever his, his, his phrasing was. Um, you know, I think there are media people out there who make it out to be like, no one good will ever come because as long as no one is the owner. I think there are Knicks fans out there who say that anybody who tries to say that Dolan is a problem is just a Knicks hater and, um, they're, 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 it's a lie. I think like most things in the world, the truth is somewhere in between. I think if like... Okay, I'll give you this scenario. If R.J. Barrett comes in this year and looks like the guy that a lot of people hope R.J. Barrett can be and and a type of player who could be, you know, like a Tatum, essentially. Maybe not quite that good, but the second best player on a championship team someday. Um, Leader, you know, real drawing card. Mitch takes a step up. Knox takes a step up. Like, will a really good player come here at some point? Yeah, probably, because it's a good situation. But that's why I think when I said before, I was like, all things being equal. Like, all things haven't been equal thus far. The Knicks have been terrible. So when you look at the situation where it's like they're not only bad, but you have this buffoon, um, uh, you know, on high, who even though he's been staying out of out of basketball, it's like he's still there. Um, yeah, it's, it doesn't help. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's you know, and, and meanwhile, you guys have, well, you, you know, I mean, back in... What was it? The '90s, the, the Celtics had like a, a ownership group or an owner that was like not great, and they've they they have uh, what's to say Grousback? Is that how you pronounce his name? I think so. I'm terrible with pronunciation, dude. Um, Grousback, something, something like that. Yeah, but he's like, like you know, he's solid. He lets he lets Ainge do his job, and you don't hear from him. You know, it's like that's that's what Knicks I mean, fans want. Then you can look over at the Clippers, and they've got a very involved owner. But he's passionate and he's involved for the right reasons. I mean, Steve Ballmer's just insane. Have you seen the way he celebrates? Oh, my God. Literally after every basket. It's crazy. But, you know, that could be a gift and a curse. And it's been good because, like, he has the right to – he put his team in, like, a good situation from from day one. Like, how would – like, it's an unfair question maybe to ask, but how would that stuff play – if things were were not going so well, would he would he be deemed more of a distraction? He's also incredibly media savvy. That's the I mean, you want to know the difference between Steve Ballmer and James Dolan? That's the difference. Do, Ballmer's the most media savvy person on earth. Meanwhile, Dolan is like the opposite of of media savvy. Antichrist of fandom. <laughs> I'll say this. I will say this. I, I don't know if you follow uh, baseball at all. My uh, we have another team in New York, the the New York Mets, who. Um, are owned by um, the this other guy, the the Wilpons, the Wilpon family, and they spend as if the team is like a small market team somewhere in the middle of the country. Dolan is God knows he's done, done a lot of terrible things. He does go into his wallet and he does he, he opens up his checkbook and 
Um, I think if the team was ever in a position where they were like on their way to getting good and they just needed to like pay the luxury tax for several years in a row, I think he'd do that. So it's like on a scale of one to ten, maybe he's like a one point five as an owner. Um, he's not he's not all the way down on the bottom, but that's. But you're making the right moves now. I mean, you think so? Mitch Robinson, R.J. Barrett, and Kevin Knox. That seems like a good young core of guys. Alfred Payton was a decent pickup. Um, trying to think of how picked up. So you got, Mark- you got Morris, uh, Randall you talked about, and then the two shooters, Ellington and, and Bullock, although Bullock's health, you know, we'll see where, where that's at. And then um, Taj Gibson. To yeah, try Taj to- Gibson, solid, old school, back to the basket guy. Marcus Morris is going to, we've, we've covered him. And I was a big fan of Julius Randall. He's, I mean, looking at him, I've done a deep dive into him recently on Synergy, just out of curiosity to see how he improved. Uh-huh. Um, his three point shots improved every year from the corners. Yes. His rebounding is up again. He can body you on the boards. He can put get putbacks. He can run the floor. He's now able to stretch the floor. Sometimes it feels like his numbers are a bit empty. Like they're they're a bit stat padded. Like if he's got the opportunity to shoot a three or make the pass, his shooting's better than his passing, so he's gonna take the shot. But he's a solid guy, dude. Having him Next to Mitch Robinson, I'm so high on Mitch Robinson, dude. Oh, um, we we are the we are captains of the Mitch Robinson fan club here. We love him. having him. Having Julius Randle, Mitch Robinson, and then like you know you've got Marcus Morris, RJ, or Nuts, depending on who you want, how you're going to play them, and then Alfred Payton. That's a solid unit, dude. You're going to increase your win share by at least what six to ten games this year. I I think the question is I mean there are some people who who think that they're going to be like in the mix for a playoff spot I I I do not think that that is um <laughs> I do not think that that is likely I think the question is do they win thirty games and uh, yeah I mean if but that but again that's a thirteen win jump I think a lot of fans here in New York like just kind of poo poo that it's like oh thirty games we're going to win more than thirty games well th- th- thirteen games is a lot. But it's it's interesting to hear you talk about your perception of the Knicks' moves um, is a positive one because I'm always interested in how other fan bases perceive what the Knicks are doing. And it sounds like you think the idea of like just getting good, solid veterans in here to kind of offer leadership and, and guidance to the kids that they have, like that that's a good move. Yeah, it's one of the smartest moves you can have. The NBA, young guys, I mean, it's an 82-game season with a bunch of travel and most of the time, these guys don't get a chance to adjust to the time zone they're in before they're playing and they're back on a flight out. So having guys that have done this for five, six, seven, eight, whatever years, that know how to handle it, know how to eat right, recover, that's invaluable, dude. And then knowing that these guys are on short-term deals, so you're still flexible come next free agency and beyond. It actually was a really successful off-season for you. I feel like you got a lot of hate because... A lot of the veterans you signed were similarly positioned, but sorry, but no, but I feel like you're going to be really competitive. Not really, comp- you'll be competitive this year, and then if you can get another draft, another draft pick next year that's going to be like top ten, maybe, or you could trade somebody. I mean, who, if you was going to say anybody's a potential trade chip this year for you, who would you say? It, it's funny you say that because the guy that I've been saying this far, thus far this offseason, this is not—it's not because I um, am not excited about him. 
it's particularly because I think he's probably the best guy we have on the team is Marcus Morris. Like if you're a contender um, and you're looking like, I, look, I, I'm 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 high on a lot of the guys that the Knicks brought in. I, you know, Wayne Ellington, obviously his his reputation as a shooter precedes him. Um, you know, Peyton could do some nice things, but if you're a team trying to win a championship, it, and it, you know, you said a lot of things about him that I think back this up. Like Marcus Morris is the type of guy that you you want to get in there. Um, and I also think that, and you brought up the positional um, aspect of it, where I think they're going to play him at the three. I think they're going to obviously Knox. They're going to play him at the three. RJ is going to see time at the three. If they if they trade Marcus. I think that opens up some more time for the younger guys as the season goes along. Um, I just, I'll be very curious to see what happens because Scott Perry is so big on like not tanking, which is why last season was so funny because he didn't want that at all. Like this is that was not the intention of last season. They were trying to go out and win like twenty something, maybe close to thirty games last year. It just it just went haywire because the talent was so low. Um, I I'm. I, I think I think it would probably be be Morris, but we'll see. Um, Honestly, I, most of last year, leading up to the trade deadline, Marcus Morris was my trade chip in most conversations that I had. Good contract, like tradable contract, as you say, veteran leadership qualities, frees up a position that you've already got covered by younger guys. Yeah, and he's liked around the league, dude. I mean, he. You could get a decent return for him, even if it's just a few picks, because that's what you guys should be trying to do now, right? Is get as many get as many picks as you can, package well, they, them. They the tried mic. to, yeah, they tried to, but I think that's why they tried to toe this line of let's bring in all these veterans to try to get our young guys right, because all the future of the picks in the world don't make a difference if the young guys that we already have here don't don't grow. And I think they realized that. The, the kids weren't going to grow unless they got some NBA veterans to try to lead them. Um, but to your point, I do think getting another pick or so down the line, the thing that I'm interested in with Morris and why I actually think the fact that they paid him a lot of money at, you know, whatever it is, $15 million, I think that could actually be a plus because it gives them an opportunity to take on bad money. That's like a lot of bad money. Um, not only this year, but next year, because I don't think they're going to be players in the free agent market at all this offseason. Um, so if you take on some other teams like bad $30 million um, that expires in 2021, I think you might be able to get a first-round pick back from Marcus Morris at the trade deadline. We'll see. Um, I, I want to just say one more thing about Kemba because I want your take on Kemba. You asked me about him. I think what's good about what the Knicks did in terms of who they brought in is it's guys that are like they're good, they're veterans, they're pros, good locker room guys, but they're not so good that if – like they're they're gonna block the way of any of the young players that the Knicks have. Kemba, I think when you bring him in, it's like by default it's kinda gonna be the Kemba Walker show, or at least it has been thus far in his career. How how much do you think that that's gonna be the case in Boston this year? Because they're they're you know, like we saw last year, these these other guys who want the ball. Do you think like, do you think Kemba's going to have trouble adjusting his game, or do you think it's going to be, like, a seamless fit? I feel like he's going to fit much better than Kyrie. Kemba plays way better off ball. And it's so far point. in his career, career, career <laughs> um, he's had no one around him that he can distribute to and know they're going to hit shots. He's been on a losing franchise for pretty much, well, they've pretty much lost every year he's been there, and that's not his fault. 
you guys last when you only had Melo and he was in his prime. Yeah. It happens. You need more than one star to compete. Having a guy like Kemba that can move off ball and then be able to rely on Gordon Haywood to handle the ball sometimes. Jason Tatum can pass and run the court. I feel like he's going to fit much better. He's still going to be the primary point guard. So if you're coming into Boston via draft like Carson Edwards has, and you're a ball-handling point guard, you're playing off the bench. But that's good too because it gives these young guys time to get their reps in but not have all that expectation on their shoulders too early. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm big on Carson Edwards. I feel like he's going to be. Yeah, what a great uh, what a great pick that was by you guys. Really, I like that one a lot. He's going to be a stud. I feel like he'll play, you'll see him play the two a little bit. Okay. Just to play with Kemba and see how he runs the offense. Because long term, if it pans out, then Carson's going to eventually inherit that role. And two, three years as an understudy to Kemba Walker, maybe four, maybe five, depends if he re-signs. He's there for four now. Um, it's not a bad way to learn. I, I don't think it's a bad way to learn at all. Do you, it, it, so it's, you've brought up the future, and I think I'm excited for this season to watch the Knicks this season. I'm sure you're excited to watch the Celtics this season. Um, you guys are obviously a lot better, um, are, are going to win a lot more games than the Knicks this year. Um, but I... I don't. Well, I, I let me. I I don't want to assume this. Do you consider yourselves a championship contender as currently constructed, like this season, with no trades involved? No. Okay, so we're on the same page because I agree that they're just on the outside looking in. Um, like I'm like we're, as excited as we both are for the season ahead. I feel like in the NBA, you're you're whether you're just a fan or you're writing about it or you're talking about it, you're always looking forward to like the next thing. Like, what do you do? How are you handling that? Because I think the expectation in Boston now for so long has been like, not, not championship or bust. Cause like you said, there was the, the slow rebuild after Garnett and Pierce and with Isaiah Thomas. But like, what's your outlook long-term or maybe not long, long-term, but like a couple of years down the line. I feel like a couple of moves, and we're right back where we were expectation-wise last year. Okay. If, I mean, Gordon Hayward's got a player option at the end of this year. I'd say I'm 95% sure he, re- he re-ups and stays for the extra year. Yeah. If he has an average season, he's not going to get that money again. And if he has a great season, he owes it to Boston to stay because of the, the first two years of that contract. Um, Jalen Brown's on a restricted free agency. I'm worried about him. There's a few teams out there that are going to have money. He's one of the better players available this summer. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Ingram, obviously, is like the best young guy available. I'd say Brand's probably third or fourth. But I feel like we are just a few moves away. We've got Vincent Poirier, who is an enigma at this point. I've got a chat. I've got a feeling come mid-season we'll be looking to move Kanta because Poirier does everything he does with none of the extravagance. <laughs> that's like that's a you know what that's a great word for Inez Cantor. He is an extravagant human being. Yeah, and if if Vincent Poirier comes and he can run the floor like can better than Cantor, he led the Euro League last year in rebounding. So if we can get that from him to a similar level in the NBA, and then if he can just develop some form of jump shot from like eighteen feet and closer, then we've got Ennis Cantor, the French version. But for half the money, let's move Kanta, see what we can get back to fill another hole. Yeah, I, I um, 
Yeah, I'll be curious to see what, if any, trade market there is there. You, it's funny, you mentioned Brown. Um, I've already had Knicks fans uh, appro- or talk to me about the idea of making a huge play for Jalen Brown in restricted free agency next year. Um, I... I'd be curious to see how his year goes because I, you know, it's he's like one of those guys that you're not. I'm. I, I feel like we're not. We're still not quite sure what his ceiling is. Like, what is his? What is his optimal outcome? I mean, what? What, what are your feelings about Jalen Brown right now? Well, first of all, just to drop it in there, um, Brown's chance on a five-year deal is ticking down as we speak. Twenty-first of October comes and goes. Yeah, he's only looking at a four-year deal now. So you guys can come in and make an offer that Boston just don't want to pay. Ceiling-wise, I don't know, just check those talks. I've read articles where um, from some of the athletic beat writers saying that the front office value him as highly as his ceiling could be at Paul George level. I think that's over-evaluing him dramatically. Really? Okay. Uh, he's a He's very weak on his left hand. If you go back and watch some film on him, he gets hedged left all the time. And when his head's left, he's fucked. He either crosses over and gets steeled, or he'll turn the ball over, or he'll just jack up like a turnaround fade away. And nine times out of ten, he'll miss. Huh. And defensively, on rotations, he needs a lot of work. I mean, he's a very, very high intellectual guy outside of basketball. And he does... I mean, he's freaky athletic, dude. He'll outjump most guys from standing. Get ahead of steam, he'll dunk over six seven footers no problem his three point shots developing well I wouldn't say he's like you know a guaranteed 30 league average is 36% I think he shot 34 so he's around that average um, he's a, he's going to be a great guy I'd say he's, he's going to be an all star in his career okay I I, but, I, I agree with you um, I, I yeah um, I think it's uh, listen I think in in a lot of ways, um, the Knicks and and the Celtics over the next like it's it's funny that for as different as the two franchises are, obviously you guys have been ultra successful. The Knicks have been the opposite of that. Um, I feel like they're both entering this kind of like interesting period where it, it things like I, I things are going to go well for you guys, but like you said, you're still a move away. And you know Danny Ainge, I feel like he always has his eye on on the the big prize. Um, you know, Anthony Davis, like there, you guys were there. Obviously, probably other than the Lakers, we the Knicks and the Celtics were the two teams most linked to Davis. You guys, because it was this like years long pursuit. Us, because he was mentioned or he mentioned us as a team that that he wanted to come to. And then you got Giannis coming in two years. It's like I can't wait to see what happens if he does not sign the supermax next summer um and and all of the all of the pieces that will be written because i guarantee you a lot of people are going to be pointing to boston and i'm sure a lot of people are going to be pointing to the knicks and like how foolish is that after what had just happened this summer and it's like i don't know man it's it's the knicks and the celtics are always i feel like intertwined um dude as a celtics fan i'd be happy for you to i mean i'd hate the fact for you to get Giannis, obviously but at the same time i'd be happy I want that rivalry, you know. I want a good Celtics team and a good New York team that are fighting for that conference title. We, we haven't had it that much. We no, that's really what I mean, dude. Like, I need that. That's 
two of the best franchises in the East are fighting it out for that conference. And then if the Lakers are good too, oh man, that's like a Celtics fan's dream or nightmare, <laughs> depending on the outcome. Um, uh. But no, I want. I mean, it's good for the NBA as well. You want your biggest franchise, your big market franchises, to be successful. It draws in the viewership. It, the, the salary cap rises. Hopefully, league pass gets a little cheaper because of it. That'd be That'd nice. Be, but no, man, I feel like you guys. You're only. You're pretty much where Boston was three years ago. The only difference was, was Isaiah Thomas came and just became a god for a year or two. He went. You, without Isaiah Thomas coming and becoming God, we would have been where you guys are now. So you're on that same similar beaten path that we've already walked down. And then when, personally, I like to look over over my shoulder at teams that are rebuilding behind. So, you know, Orlando's another one I like to keep a close eye on. Um, I'm just waiting for Washington to blow it up. They need to blow it up. And then you guys, you guys are not far away from con- not contention, but relevancy would be a good word. Listen, um, we'll, we'll take. I, I don't even want to say we'll take relevancy. I, we'll take um, respectability. It's just you know, you'll get that this year. I, I hope so because I think that's more than anything. Knicks fans are are just sick and tired of having to read, you know, you know the stuff that gets read about us because it gets it gets tiring. And it gets draining, and that is the one, you know, the one nice thing about you guys um, is it, it's that's the benefit of the doubt you get when you're a well-run franchise is like even when things go terribly, horribly wrong, as I think you you said yourself that you know happened this past season, you get that benefit of the doubt, and I think what drives New Yorkers nuts, it drives, I, I be honest, it drives me nuts sometimes is like there's that presumption of um there's always going to be that presumption of ignorance um uh, until you know you start to see signs that things are getting on the right track so if we can just escape that um i think it'd be healthy for the fan base it'd be healthy for the team and the players and all that um but what i think we what do we play each other the second game of the season i i haven't really dug into the schedule yet but i think we i'm pretty sure we play each other pretty early so That'd be fun. I'm just pulling it up now. It's definitely very, very early. Yeah, on. it's one of the first couple games. I know it might be your home opener. It might be our home opener. If I forget which one it is, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, and and like you said, you're looking over your shoulder. I'm definitely looking at the Celtics because like um, the infrastructure is there. Like they just, you know, it went wrong this last go around. But if you guys, like you said, if you make that one more move, um, you know, you're right. I have a I have a buddy of mine. He thinks the Celtics are going to come out of the East. And the, a guy that is a pretty good basketball fan knows knows what he's talking about. He thinks Kemba Walker is, like, just the best thing ever. So well, The thing is, if Hayward goes back, gets back to a level that he was with Utah, which isn't too much of a stretch when you think this injury was similar to Paul George, difference being Paul George when he had a first full season back, had a whole summer, and six games the previous season to really get some air under him Haywood had surgery this time last year a second surgery that he wasn't expecting and then got through in the deep end so if he and then Paul George had one of his best years coming back that next year so if we can get a Utah level-ish Haywood Kemba's going to do better than he's ever done before he's got shooters in in Jason Tatum Carson Edwards Jalen Brown even 
He's got rebounding that he's never had in the terms of as much as you don't want me to say. And as Kanta, <laughs> it's okay. Listen, he can rebound. He's good at rebounding. But I feel like yeah, these guys. Are, there's a couple of these guys that have got more talent around them now than they've ever had before. But it's we had that last year too. We had more talent than we knew what to do with, and it was detrimental to the team. So it's about finding that balance that everybody knows their role and everybody plays within their role. And any team that can do that's got an opportunity to progress. It's um, that's a good place to to end it because that's I think that's a good mo for you guys, and God knows that is the that is the mo for the Knicks this year. They have they've upgraded the talent. Now it's a matter of just everybody being okay with um, accepting the fact that there are only um, how many minutes in a basketball game to go around two hundred two hundred and forty. If I did the correct math, yeah, I think two hundred forty minutes. So. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Um, def- different definitions of success for Boston and New York this year, but I think we'll we'll both know it if we see it, um, which is you know which is which is fun. Um, this is fun. We should we should do this again sometime. I, oh, for I, sure, I, man. We, we're playing each other soon. We should do a recap game or a preview game. Preview oh, sh- absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Book it. We're gonna do that. Um, and and if for no other reason. Then um, I could listen to your accent all day long because I just think it's the best thing in the world. So, um, unfortunately, yeah. not many people do. Well, they're idiots. So, <laughs> that's it. But, uh, no, awesome, dude. I've had a great time. Um, yeah, I was going to say something. He's gone out of my head. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, you know what? You'll think of it, and then we'll bring it up when we do the either the preview or the recap pod after we play each other. Oh, for sure. All, all right, right, guys. Well, you'll hear from us soon. 